This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, a show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today's show has been taped. It is a new show, and my guest on the program today is going to be Dr. Lindsay DiStefano. Dr. DiStefano is a Ph.D. and a certified athletic trainer. She is the department head at the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Connecticut, She's also an associate professor in the Department of Kinesiology as well as in the Department of Orthopedics. And uh, I've really wanted to talk a lot with her about youth sports. You know, we read a lot of articles about youth sports. What's the right sport for your child? How do you decide this? And the real question, should I let my child play a high-velocity collision sport? The most recent article was just published by NPR, and it appeared uh, from the group at Wake Forest, and it, and it reported changes in brain scans after a single season of football for young players. So the players were 26 athletes uh, with an average age of 12 years of age, and they compared them to 26 uh, athletes of the same age who did not play football. And they did fairly sophisticated brain scans before the season and then again after the season. And what they found were changes in the nerve bundles of an area of the brain called the corpus callosum. The corpus callosum are the nerve cells that, that join the two hemispheres. It's like a bridge between the two halves of the brain. And that's where the damage was that they found. Now, the problem here is that this is a very small sample size and it is a very preliminary study. But one of the things it really brings home is the fact that many of us haven't understood that sports is really a pyramid. All the research, all the articles we're hearing about are at the top of that pyramid, right? The 1,800 players who now play in the NFL are at the top of that pyramid. And they chose to practice this sport as a way of supporting their families, as a way of income. No problem. The problem is really at the bottom of the pyramid where we have 3 million children playing football. Another 3 million playing soccer and another half million playing hockey. So here we are at that level and we have to start addressing things at the bottom of that pyramid where we have children whose brains are more susceptible to injury playing high-velocity collision sports. So then the question comes up as a parent, and many parents ask me this all the time, is how do I decide what sport for my child? Now, a lot of times parents decide that they want them to play whatever sport they played because it would be easier for them or whatever and 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 sadly some people live have a vicarious experience with their child to hopefully have them accomplish what they could not bad move 
Okay, that is, is the only way I could say it. it. What's important is having children sample a lot of sports, find out what they're comfortable with. Because we all have various limitations. For example, some children have autism or some other learning disability. I got news for you. Putting them in a team sport or an invasive sport like football, like soccer, is a real challenge for someone who doesn't interact well with the teammates. So those children need to be in sports like martial arts or swimming or track and field where they can perform at their best. And I'm not saying this is a generality, like everybody needs this is every child with autism can't do this, okay? But you have to be open with any child, not one with necessarily one with special needs, but any child who is being faced with choosing a sport. So the more sports you can find and, and think out of the box, especially if you want your child to get a scholarship, okay? Um, you know, start thinking out of the box in terms of a sport that they're good at, a sport that helps them think quickly, interact and have a good social background and teaches them a lot about their body. And one of the things we're going to be talking later in the show about with Dr. DiStefano is physical literacy, a term I was not familiar with until we taped this program. So it's it's important to really be familiar with this and impress upon the importance of choosing the right sport. Now, getting back to the original question of high-velocity collision sports. When we get to the top of that pyramid again, right, those 1,800 athletes, they weren't just playing youth football. They weren't just playing AAU sports. They were multi-sport athletes, and many of them did not have any high-velocity collision exposure as a child, thus sparing them potentially a career-ending injury. So there's a lot to think about to go into this decision if you want to steer your child into a sport. But as you're going to hear later on when we talk to Dr. DiStefano, free play, two words that we don't hear enough, right? We're getting rid of recess. We're getting rid of phys ed. Free play allows children to think, interact with their peers, and develop different types of muscles and skills. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Lindsay DiStefano. As I mentioned earlier, today is a taped program, so we're not taking questions, but I hope you're going to enjoy the program. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. This is Dr. Anthony Alessi, and uh, we're back. As I mentioned previously, this is a taped program, so we're not taking telephone calls today. Uh, but you can always email me at info at alessimd.com. My guest today is Dr. Lindsay DiStefano. Dr. DiStefano is a Ph.D. and certified athletic trainer. She is the department head in the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Connecticut and also associate professor of kinesiology at the University of Connecticut. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about your education. So how did you get to be, first of all, how did you get to be so young and be a department head? Um, but uh, on top of that, um, your education uh, in the field of athletic training and kinesiology. Oh, great question. So very similar to a lot of other individuals in sports medicine. You know, I originally was an athlete. I loved sports. Um, and I also unfortunately encountered um, my fair share of musculoskeletal injuries, which exposed me both to physical therapy and athletic training. Um, and so I went to Boston University in the physical therapy program, um, became more exposed to the profession of athletic training. Um, I played club ice hockey there and then um, decided that I wanted to go into athletic training, found research and teaching, went down to UNC Chapel Hill for graduate programs. Um, and now I'm a faculty member here at the University of Connecticut. Uh, doing research in sports medicine and then as well as teaching. Lizzie, let's, let's get right back down to it. What is kinesiology? I think a lot of our listeners don't understand the term. Yes, yeah, so kinesiology, so I always break this down, ology being the study of kines, meaning movement. So kinesiology truly breaks down into the study of human movement. And here in the Department of Kinesiology, we basically study all those different aspects of that contribute to human movement from an exercise physiology standpoint to musculoskeletal control, all different facets that influence human movement. A lot of, I guess, a lot of notoriety reaches the department through Corey Stringer Institute. And we've had Doug Casa on the show and, and talked about heat. But so other than that, when you talk about movement, um, I've been to your motion lab and things like that. Can you talk, because I find it so interesting from the standpoint, not just from the idea of athletics, but from the standpoint of treating patients. Can you kind of bridge that for everyone? Yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, as the Department of Kinesiology, our goal and overall mission is to encourage everyone in every walk of life to be able to be physically active, to get their body moving. And so with our programs in physical therapy, athletic training, and exercise science, you know, we really work to ensure that people have the capacity to move and to control their body in a healthy format so that they can prevent injury as well as recover from injury. You know, especially right now, we see, you know, huge spikes in osteoarthritis as, you know, the population population ages. And so a lot of work is currently being done to prevent that development as well as to create different interventions to ensure that people can continue to move even in the face of pathology. Um, and then we have exercise scientists who look at, you know, different other aspects of the body like cardiovascular health um, and ensuring that the body understand we can train the body to respond to stress related to exercise appropriately and in a healthy manner. Um. I want to clarify one area of confusion a little bit that people have when we think of athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches. Mm -hmm. And I think people think the two are the same. So can you elaborate? Because we hear a lot about strength and conditioning coaches, unfortunately, recently with the death in Maryland mm -hmm. and, and other catastrophes. And although they are an important part of the team, how do they fit into the kinesiology perspective uh, versus an athletic trainer? Yeah, also a great question. So I think, you know, in our current health society and culture, we need to really appreciate the different members of the team, the team that affects 
athlete performance. And that goes from, you know, the medicine, traditional side, all the way to optimized performance. And strength and conditioning coaches really serve at, the, at that sort of tail end of the spectrum when it comes to performance training. Um, and then athletic trainers are basically the next shift over to the left, if you will, meaning bridging from rehabilitation prevention of injury in order to optimize performance enhancement. And so athletic trainers are the qualified healthcare professional on the team that also have some knowledge and training in sport performance, but they're really the ones that are responsible for ensuring that the athletes are participating safely, identifying when there are risk factors for injury or other um, healthcare conditions or injuries present and being able to intervene appropriately. When we look at the sports team itself mm -hmm. from the health side, who are the other people on the team? So we talked about strength and conditioning to optimize performance, obviously certified athletic trainers in dealing with injury and rehabilitation. Right. What other people are we seeing? Because it seems like that team is growing every time I show up in the locker room. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the goal is that Everyone, every person on an athlete, ideal athlete team has their own strengths. And it's important that we all stay focused in terms of our area of expertise and be able to understand where different levels of expertise can be found. Um, so like you said, we have strength conditioning coaches, we have athletic trainers, physical therapists are a growing, you know, member of the sports team to really handle sort of more of the advanced rehabilitation cases and be able to focus time and energy there. We have primary care physicians, neurologists. Um, orthopedic surgeons, nutritionists now, you know, and then also mental health um, is, you know, a growing area of concern, especially with athlete health um, and needs to be respected, therefore. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because we see that at the highest levels of sport, at mm -hmm. the professional level, we're seeing more and more uh, mental health involvement, addiction services involvement, and, and things such as that. So I don't think it's something um, people um, are more aware of. Right. I, I guess... In the last couple of minutes here to this segment, I want to talk about athletic trainers at the high school level. You know, we have this distorted view of sports injury. We think everything happens at the top of the pyramid. But meanwhile, we have about 3 million people before, before the age of high school playing youth sports that are high-velocity collision sports. What's the solution for that? I mean, not every club sport can afford an athletic trainer. We're hearing that in high schools. Is there a solution to getting better medical care down to the lowest rung where we have the most participation? Yeah, no, I think there are different uh, possible solutions and strategies. I think, I think one thing is that our society really needs to appreciate what is the role of sport you know, in, in society, right? So the role of sport in society is you know, all the benefits that you have psychologically, socially, for involvement and also the ability of making sure that the human body has opportunity to move. Um, and if you look at it from that standpoint, I think it also can affect the healthcare that is implemented. So a lot of times health, especially when youth athletes starts getting inter intervened with in terms of different parents and coaches attitudes of, you know, this athlete needs to be on the field to participate in that one season. And instead of thinking, we need to make sure that this athlete, this child, this youth athlete can participate in sport for the rest of their life. Um, and when we start to have that sort of mindset, I think a lot more buy-in becomes evident at the coaches and the parents, which is really the people that are going to drive change and ensure that athletes can find access to healthcare. care. Um, I think a lot of 
communities, physicians, athletic trainers, physical therapists have the ability to do a lot of sort of train the trainer approaches, if you will. So identify areas of contact. Um, so maybe a youth sport organization can't have um, an athletic trainer always present at the field, but they have a, an ability to reach and have access to an athletic trainer um, who can help triage the situation and ensure that that athlete gets appropriate care and be able to help guide parents and coaches in terms of does this child need to go to the emergency room tonight? Does it, you know, can we get them an appointment with a physician depending on the type of injury or another healthcare professional? And I think that that's really sort of an avenue that all youth sports should try to aim for. And then at the high school level, yes, there needs to be this national push that if you are having high school sports with the risk that it is there, you need to have an athletic trainer be employed. Absolutely. That's a great summary. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest today, Dr. Lindsay DiStefano, who is the department head of the Department of Kinesiology here at the University of Connecticut. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and my guest today is Dr. Lindsay DiStefano. We're talking about kinesiology, and specifically, we want to talk about injury prevention in patients, athletes, but especially young patients. So, Lindsay, one of the things I saw on the website is your expertise in the area of physical literacy, and I had to look it up. So, I got to tell you, if I'm in the field and I don't know it, Uh, know what it is. I think a lot of people don't understand it. So can you explain for our listeners what physical literacy is? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not surprised that you don't know about it. Um, Great. I feel better. Yeah. No, unfortunately, the United States is very behind the eight ball, if you will, when it comes to recognizing physical literacy and what really needs to be in place in order to promote physical activity uh, across the lifespan. So physical literacy is an emerging topic here in the United States, but it's well constructed in other countries like the United Kingdom, um, Canada, New Zealand. So actually in, in Great Britain right now, you can get a, an undergraduate college degree in physical literacy. Yet the majority of the United States population doesn't even know what it is or hasn't even heard of it. So physical literacy, um, I think is best described in terms of you know, a child needs to learn to read. They need basic reading literacy in order to succeed in school and eventually get a job. Children need to establish physical literacy in order to be physically active across a lifetime. So what is physical literacy? It's a child's ability. So can they actually participate in physical activity? Do they have the skills to land, to throw, to catch safely and effectively? And do they have the confidence that they can be active? Because we all know that if a kid thinks that they, you know, I can't play basketball, I'm not good at it, they're not going to want to do it. And they're not going to be willing to try it out. And then the desire to be active. Do they think that being physically active, do they think sports or other physical activities like dance are fun? And do they have the motivation to be active? So essentially it's the ability, the confidence, and the desire to be active. And that carries through across a lifetime. So if a child doesn't develop that early on, the likelihood that when they get to be an adult and they have other demands on their time and energy, they're probably not going to choose to be physically active. Okay, so it sounds like physical literacy starts in the home, like so many other things, right? Absolutely. So, So is it the role model? In other words, seeing a parent who exercises regularly bring that to light? How does... 
how do you incorporate that? I mean, it obviously is not being done in our school system because we barely have recess. Right. Forget about phys ed. Right. So how does somebody do that in their home? Absolutely. And that's, you know, I think being a parent with three little kids right now, I know that the demands on a parent's time are they're the pressure, the societal demands are high. Um, but this is an area that, you know, you really can engage with your kids. Show your child that being physically active is an important part of your life, and you can do it with your child. Um, truly, the foundation of physical literacy, I really believe, comes down to exposure. So, you know, you as a family can find activities and a variety of different activities. You know, maybe the adult caregiver for that child's life isn't a star tennis player, but can you go on a hike? Can you go and, you know, bounce a ball around or kick a ball around in the yard, run around, play tag. There's tons of different things that the adult caregiver, the parent, um, the role model in that life can expose the child to. And then the messaging, you know, a child needs to be able to feel like they can try different activities and they need to recognize they can fail at some things and they can learn to get better. And, you know, that whole messaging of, you know, children these days need to learn to fail in order to be able to be resilient in all aspects of their life. Well, this is a great opportunity, you know, for those messages to occur. You mentioned before the motivation for sports, mm -hmm. in other words, and how important that is. And one of the things I battle when I see injured athletes is parental pressure. Mm -hmm. And and we, we haven't overcome that, the, the parent living vicariously through the child. And I think we have seen a lot of overuse injuries, in, uh, whether it be the parent or the child themselves, this urge to specialize in a sport as an early age. It's almost the antithesis of what you're saying with physical literacy. So how do we get around that? I mean, really, in, in the sense that um, how do we get around, uh, you know, these overuse injuries in young athletes? Yeah, well, there's many different, I think, uh, ways I can we can address exactly. You had a lot of questions right I there. Do. So, you know, one thing is I hear a lot from parents. They say their son, Johnny, is not an athlete. He doesn't like sports. Okay, so there, there's that piece of it, right. which is, you know, when you ask, well, why do you say Johnny doesn't like sports? They say, well, Johnny doesn't like basketball. Well, that doesn't mean that he doesn't like sports or physical activity. We need to expose the children to a whole variety of sports, especially at an early age. So uh, my research, again, began with prevention of ACL injuries, right? A common catastrophic knee injury affects youth athletes. It has a... And more women. And more women, and it has a, you know, a bad long-term outlook. Um, well, when I started digging into the literature of thinking about why do ACL injuries happen, it bottom line, it comes to how does somebody control their body during sport? We always associate it with like poor learning to absorb force, landing stiffly, landing with a lot of rotation. When you dig back into overall pediatric motor development, you see that those are what we say today as risk factors for injury. Those are developmental deficiencies. They're suggestive, like in 1960, when JFK basically came out and said, every person in this society needs to be physically active. They are factors that children are not learning proper control. And so we can't expect a child to be safe from overuse injuries or safe from these acute injuries if they've never learned the proper development it takes to move their body. That also is linked to sport performance. So if a parent really wants their child to succeed, it's in their best interest to ensure that their children 
have learned how to control their body in a variety of formats. And that's where sports specialization just comes in. So sport sampling, trying a bunch of different sports or other activities is just like you said, the opposite of sports specialization. And, you know, there's some really nice th- data coming out of like the Olympic athletes, division one athletes, basically proving that the athletes that reach sort of these elite levels, they are multi-sport athletes. If you ask them, the majority of them participated in many sports as a child, multiple sports as, as a high school athlete. And then once they reached that foundational level of development, then they were able to specialize, but it's not until these much later points in time. So here's where I get a little bit confused, and that is you would think that your ability to move safely is something your body teaches you. It's it's a natural thing, right? Yeah. When we were running through the jungles, nobody told us how to put one foot in front of the other. Right. So why is there a need now to teach that? Well, honestly, I think a big culprit is there's not as many opportunities for children to be active. And everything, especially in early childhood, is so marketed to very organized fashion. And expensive. And expensive, which that's a, that's a whole other segment that we can talk about. But yeah, the opportunity for every child in America right now to be active is very poor. Um, PE's gone down, recess opportunities, like you said, free play just in the house, engagement with parents, or just lo- allowing your child to, you know, play outside in the yard. You know, it's a, it's actually a fight right now with my husband about should I let, should we let our children climb trees? You know, there's actually a lot of literature to say that children know their own boundaries. They know they are very attuned to what their capabilities are safely, but we just don't allow them to find it anymore. That statement scares me right there. We're going to take a (laughs) short break and then we're going to be back with Dr. Lindsay DiStefano talking about children's boundaries in sports. Uh, You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Welcome to the final segment of our program today. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we're not taking phone calls uh, because this is a taped program, and I'm with Dr. Lindsay DiStefano. Uh, Lindsay, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about the boundaries that children seem to find themselves athletically, and and you brought up the idea of uh, climbing trees. And um, let's talk a little bit more about that because I think that's an interesting take on injury prevention in youth sports. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, climbing trees, allowing children to just go out and play, they, if you actually, we have some cool data, it's about to hopefully get published soon, about if you ask a child, you know, how good are you at doing a certain number of different activities, their their reporting, their confidence, their own perceptions actually match up miraculously very well to their actual abilities. So children, even at an early age, have a good concept of what they can and cannot do. So 
playing on playgrounds, you know, playing, climbing trees. It's like, yes, these are like new playscapes. Um, I'm excited to see more and more there. They have more opportunity for children to challenge their bodies and challenge themselves. And that's the only way we know with just basic sport training, you have to load the body. You have to challenge the body in order for a child to learn new skills, just like an adult athlete, right? You have to start lifting more weights, trying to run more if you want to build those skills. Well, kids have to have those opportunities to challenge themselves, to learn how to play different sports, how to move their body in different ways. Um, I mean, if you just watch a bunch of children outside in the yard at an early age, they will create new activities. You know, one of the best stories I have is uh, my son loved playing hockey, and all of a sudden we were outside in the front yard, and he ended up, you know, taking his hockey stick, running around, hitting the soccer ball with his hockey stick, and trying to score goals. He's like, look, Mom, I created a new sport. And was like, well, you actually are playing field hockey. But so <laughs> yes, you know, that's what, if you allow children to be creative and to move and they're embraced that way, they will challenge themselves and they, were de they will develop the skills they need. I'm glad you brought that up because there have been some recent statements made, and I think it's, it's about free play. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're talking about Absolutely. here. And how in the Caribbean athletes are much less organized, mm -hmm. right, in the sense that they're kicking a bunch of garbage around thinking it's a soccer ball, but they're able to think and create a game. Yes. And how has that impacted American sports in the standpoint that quarterbacks now have to have every play come into them? Mm -hmm. And I maintain that if you have done this before under free play, you can be more creative. And we're seeing that because many of the Caribbean athletes who join us have done a lot more free play and are able to think more freely. Have you found that? Does the data show that? Oh, absolutely. Well, I can definitely speak at least anecdotally. So in addition to my roles here at UConn, I'm also you know, a parent and a youth coach. Um, and the, there are certain youth sport organizations out there that are really taking hold of this athlete development model. So long-term athlete development model, athlete development model, you know, more and more countries outside the United States are adopting it. And hopefully every sport organization in America will too. So USA Soccer, USA Hockey, USA Baseball. And what it comes down to is there are a lot of youth coaches out there and parents that, just like you're saying, they think that they need to teach an eight-year-old how to have exact strategy, where they should position themselves on the field. You know, stopping a child playing during practice and saying, stop there, where should the next pass be? Instead of just letting them self-figure it out in small-sided games and be creative and learn those skills. I mean, children learn by playing, not by listening. You know, if you look at early education, yeah, they learn by doing. And so youth sport should not be any different. So um, a lot of the athlete development models, especially I can speak from like USA Hockey, speaks to at the might early ages, you know, it's small-sided games. It's fundamental skill development. It's not coaching, you know, how to break it out you know, and perfect these different plays, if you will, but instead allowing the children to learn how to be creative on the field and make their own choices. That's great to hear. So, Lindsay, in the final minutes, what's the future in kinesiology? What are we going to be looking at? What are, what are the areas of biggest interest right now? Right. Well, I'm going to say it from an idealistic perspective. So Please. I think more and more our society is starting to realize and appreciate the fact that exercise is medicine, which is a tagline that the American College of Sports Medicine has long sort of held and promoted. And I think 
more and more our society needs to appreciate that. And as we appreciate that exercise is medicine and is a solution as well as a prevention for a lot of our health care issues and our public society issues, um, then I think we can encourage every human across a lifespan to be physically active. But that's going to require a lot of changes in society. And it's hard. It's hard to get people to change their behaviors. And, you know, from a youth athlete perspective, it's hard to get, you know, coaches to change their own attitude. And it's hard to get parents to realize, you know, I should just encourage my child to be active no matter, you know, what they want to do. Any activity is better. New physical activity guidelines basically suggest just start moving. Um, And the hope is that the whole healthcare system can once again create this unified interdisciplinary approach where we can all work together and follow an athlete, an individual across different stages of life and physical activity. So before they get hurt, when they get hurt, when they're recovery, and we can work together to optimize it um, and hopefully improve health and wellness across the across the ages. You know, Lindsay, the one thing you didn't say is it was going to take more money, and it doesn't, <laughs> right? I mean, it this doesn't. is actually one of the few things that we could plan for the future that doesn't take more money. No, absolutely. And that's the beauty of it, you know, is the solution. Sometimes I feel like, you know, am I not a great, you know, person in healthcare or in research by I'm promoting something that's so basic, right? It doesn't cost money. Just get people moving, get kids moving. It's a way to save money actually in the long run in healthcare. Lindsay, thank you very much. Thank you for spending time with us today, and thanks for all the work you do here at UConn uh, in the Department of Kinesiology and in the Department of Orthopedics. Thank you very much for having me. This has been another great show. I want to thank our studio producer today. Mike Ulko has been on the board. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week, we're going to plan another great show. I want you all to please remember to stay healthy, but also remember that you can become an organ donor. There's nothing like giving life to someone else by going to registerme.org. Until next week, you're listening to Dr. Anthony Alessi at Healthy Rounds and look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thank you for your time. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.